woman looked out her window and, and saw her little son Johnny outside, and he had his Bible, and he was uh, talking to three kittens, preaching to the kittens, and she smiled and went back to her work. Uh, shortly thereafter, her peace was shattered. Uh, she heard this yowling and, and some scratching at the door. She goes out to the door and looks, and there's two kittens dripping wet. And she looks over to Johnny, and he's got the third kitten down in a tub like this. She said, Johnny, what are you doing? He says, I'm baptizing the kittens. She said, well, you can let him up or he's going to drown. He said, they should have known that when they wanted to join my church. <laughs> I've known folks that have been baptized by immersion several times because they wanted to join a church when they moved to a new place. And the church said, to come to our church, you have to be baptized into our church. And, and frankly, let's be real. A, a lot of times, we come to start thinking of our congregation as our church. Now, I don't like to be argumentative. People will often say to me, where is your church? But really, I think it's the wrong pronoun. I think if we start thinking, it's my church, where we do things my way, the way that I like, then we really get off base, and we forget that the church is to be one body, the big C. You see, Paul has been preaching and writing to the Ephesians, preaching to us about how the church breaks down all the barriers that humans create between themselves. The church is so much of a unifying body, organism, that even Jews and Gentiles can be welcomed together and become brothers and sisters in Christ. And he significantly changes at the end of verse, or chapter 3, going into chapter 4, he changes from being more theological and doctrinal to being more practical. And today we're going to pick up uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And I will say to you, it is clear as you read through these verses, there is one theme. It is that we are to be one. It is that we are to strive for unity in Christ's church. It's not our church, it's his church. So we let his will be done, and his will is that we strive to be united. So we're going to look today at that, and I want you to see those first three verses. It, it tells us of, of the unified behavior we're to have as members of the body, the unified behavior that we're to have. And the first aspect of that unified behavior is complete humility. We see in verses one through three these different characteristics. I want you to read and see if you can pick them out before I, I give them to you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul actually wrote this from a prison cell. House arrest, many scholars think. His crime, not against the Roman government. His crime uh, because he spoke out for Christ. He, he didn't do anything heinous. He didn't steal or uh, assault someone. He didn't kill someone. His crime was that he dared to say the truth as God had given it to him, even if it conflicted with uh, the absolute 
sovereignty that the emperors in Rome claimed for themselves. So he spoke up for the Lord, and therefore he was in prison. But I think you need to understand that concept as well as a prisoner for the Lord. The Bible says when we understand who God made us to be, when we understand who Jesus is, we go from being a slave to sin, a slave to those things we want to do that in the short term make us feel good, but that cause negative consequences in our life. We go from being a slave to sin to being a slave to Christ. That is, we seek to do his will. We understand that freedom is not to be used just to make ourselves feel good. Freedom is not to be used just to pleasure ourselves. No, the best use of our freedom is to use our lives, our gifts, our talents to minister and make a difference in the lives of others. We become a slave for Christ. We become a servant of the kingdom. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. These are in command form. They say, if we're going to strive to, to have unity within the body, then individually we're going to display some characteristics. The first is being completely humble. Now, that's hard to do. It's very hard to do. But Jesus showed us the way. And Jesus came saying, I have not come to be served, but to be the servant of all. Jesus consistently modeled and talked about the importance of humility. If anyone wants to be the greatest in the kingdom, then they will be the servant of all. Humility really is a key, I think. As we start to figure that out, as we start to figure we don't always have to prove ourselves in our neighborhoods, in our family, as we start to figure that out, we develop a sense of, of security in who we are. The opposite is also true. As we are insecure, I think it's almost impossible to be humble because we always feel like we have to prove ourselves. We always feel like we have to strive for ourselves. Now, I say it often, but I will say it again because it helps me to remember. If you have to tell someone how smart you are, you're probably not that smart. If you have to tell somebody how strong you are, you're probably not that strong. See, you, I hope you get this connection because I think a lot of the problems in human relationships, a lot of the problems in marriages, a lot of the problems in human dynamics come because of our profound insecurities. We don't realize that God makes us fearfully and wonderfully made. He makes each of us precious and valuable in his sight. If we can start understanding that, then we don't have to prove ourselves. And, and we can be more healthy in the relationships that we build and that we make. Humility. Walter Cronkite was sailing with his wife on the Mystic River in Connecticut one time. And this boat came by, but it was too far away for them to really hear. But the people were waving their hands and shouting something. And his wife said, Walter, what did they say? She said, he said to her, they were saying, hello, Walter. She said, no, I heard them saying, low water, low water. Walter thought they were impressed by his fame when they really tried to warn him. Friends, it's important for us, I think, to have a clear understanding. And as a prisoner for Christ,
that very fact of understanding that we're a prisoner, as Paul did, I think can keep us humble. Secondly, he says to be completely gentle. Be completely gentle. Now, gentleness or meekness is not uh, what we often think of it to be. Gentleness or weak, meekness is not weakness. It's not uh, being kind of milk toast. It's not being wishy-washy, just rolling over when anybody uh, confronts you. That's not it at all. I think you see gentleness, as, as I understand it in Scripture, and that Greek word means to have strength under control. It, it means to have a capacity to defend or be strong, but to allow, to, to subsume it into our love and our faith in Christ. We choose not to use it for negative purposes, for selfish purposes. I think of a, a horse that has a bridle on it. The bridle's not very big, but that horse can, can, the bridle can control the horse, can show it which direction to go. I think of the movie The Blind Side, uh, where the play, man playing Michael Orr, uh, they're in a truck driving, and, and the, his little uh, kind of the family that's taking him in, the brother SJ is sitting in the passenger seat, and, and they all of a sudden have a wreck. And later, uh, the mom says, what happened to, to Michael Orr's arm? Well, it seems that the airbag had done damage to it because in the instant before impact, he reached over to protect his adopted little brother and perhaps saved his life. You see, Jesus was gentle. <laughs> it amazes me that as people criticize Jesus, I mean, do you understand? He could have just zapped them, right? I mean, they didn't know who they were messing with. But he was gentle. That wasn't the purpose of God. So he kept his strength under control to serve his heavenly father be completely gentle you see to have unity within the body it takes humility and gentleness doesn't it and by the way i think god wants us to have unity in our families as well to have unity in our families it takes a healthy dose of humility and gentleness thirdly he says uh, to have loving patience forbearing with one another in love bearing with one another and that's what patience takes isn't it patience is a, a difficult thing to have in our lives <laughs> one daughter wrote to her father she said this is my prayer for my husband i pray for wisdom to understand my man for love to forgive him for patience for his moods because lord if i pray for strength i'll beat him to death Amen. That's not that funny, wives. <laughs> Patience. Living with one another is going to test us, right? Even if that person sets your heart a flutter uh, when you see them walk through the door. It takes patience because we have different points of view. And we all have our quirks. Uh, I have more than most, my family will tell you. It takes patience. Beth was saying yesterday, and, and I think she's right, uh, that uh, one of the reasons God gave Josh to us was to teach us patience. Uh, everybody around us uh, can stress us at times. Uh, but again, to have unity within the church, to have unity within families, to have unity 
within marriage. We bear with one another out of love. We're patient with one another out of love. Now listen, what I'm saying to you is these things have to come from a supernatural source. There is not one of us in our flesh that can be completely humble. There's not one of us in our flesh that can be completely gentle. There's not one of us in our flesh that can be patient all the time. It takes God helping us in that. And we'll talk about that in verses 4 through 6 in just a moment. Finally, another trait of unified behavior in the Christian is committed peacekeeping. Committed peacekeeping. That is, we strive for peace. We look to keep the peace. Verse 3 says, make every effort. That means take every opportunity to commit to keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Difficult to do. A boy in Waterford, Connecticut, eight, his name was Zachary, saved his, his sister Megan, who was six, when she choked on a piece of hard candy. He'd been watching TV and he saw the Heimlich maneuver displayed. And so as she started to choke, he did the Heimlich maneuver on her. And so a reporter went to, to do a story about this amazing case of the brother saving his sister. And the headline read, boy, age eight, saved sister from choking. <laughs> but the byline underneath said, but he says if he had to do it again, he wouldn't because she's been a pain this week. The reporter, apparently they'd had a rough week. That's what the boy told her when the reporter asked the week he went to see him. Uh, people can be a pain, right? Even maybe you are sometimes. Pains because we're not perfect. Pains because we are human. Pains because we do have flesh. But the Bible says that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and the daughters of God. It is uniquely upon us to be peacemakers for God. One private every night when the lights were turned out in the barracks, he would bow down beside his bed and pray. Sergeant one night saw him through the dim light and threw his dirty, muddy boots at him because he didn't have a lot of time for religion. Next morning, as the sergeant got up, he saw his boots cleanly polished and washed, sitting there beside his bed. And shortly thereafter, he became a Christian. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm telling you, people are watching us. People who don't believe, they're watching you. If they know you're a Christian and they know you go to church, they're watching you to see if you look different, to see what difference this faith makes in you. Unified behavior is a great part of keeping unity. But that unified behavior comes from unified belief. Unified belief. And that's what verses 4 through 6 tell us. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're committed to keeping peace even when people within the church are teaching wrong things. They're teaching untrue things. No. Because uh, what we get here is the ones that we need to believe in, the ones that we need to agree to. Unified belief, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one. Now that has diversified meaning, this oneness. You see, one, it means that no matter that churches across this town call themselves by different names, there is one. There is one spirit. There is one Lord Jesus. There is one God. But also, what this means is we need to believe in the things the Scripture teaches us about the Spirit, about Jesus Christ. One of the things that drew me to the non-denominational Christian church was the, the impact or the understanding that we would try to be the church like the first century. Not putting in any human-made traditions or, or creeds. In fact, the way you can tell a cult is because they have an aberrant Christology. They, they believe something about Christ that the Scripture doesn't teach. Either they believe he wasn't fully God, or they believe he wasn't fully human, or something like it. Any cult group, I can tell you, they, they have a different view of Christ than the Scripture teaches we understand and see the scriptures. We agree as a body on what we believe. And we hold fast to that. We allow for difference in the other areas. A lot of the lifestyle decisions that we make in church, what people wear, what kind of music we listen to, those things aren't addressed in scripture, so we don't hold those as things we need to agree on. But we do believe we need to agree on the God who is taught in the scriptures, all of him, not taking out any part. We need to believe in the Holy Spirit who is taught in the scriptures. We need to believe in the Jesus Christ who is taught in scriptures. But you see, those three, the Trinity, make up the core of what we believe, the core of what we must agree on. <laughs> the Trinity is always hard to understand, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we, we have a difficult time wrapping our mind around the Trinity. But they work together, I think, to keep us unified. A lot in the world, our flesh, our selfishness, uh, the factors that come against Christians, a lot works to pull us apart uh, from one another in the church. But the Spirit and Jesus and, the, and God work together to keep us together. I think they work together. They show us that we don't have to be just alike to be unified. The scripture teaches us that the Trinity, the Spirit, Jesus, and God, they are at one time all three distinctly individual, but they are all God. You know, maybe this helps you to understand uh, the Trinity. I've always thought of the Trinity by understanding the nature of light. Light is composed of three different kinds of rays. It's composed of chemical rays, it's composed of light rays, and it's composed of heat rays. Think about that. And then I could make a case for uh, thinking that God is like the chemical rays. He's neither felt nor seen. We can't, uh, we, the Bible tells us that he's over all and through all and in all. He is a sovereign and over everything, but we really can't feel him or, or see him. We can see his effects. Jesus is like the light rays. He's seen but not felt. 
And the Spirit, which Paul mentions here a couple of times, you remember he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the body of peace. The Spirit is our advocate, the one we feel but don't see. Chemical rays of light are neither felt nor seen. Light rays are seen but not felt. Heat rays are felt but not seen. So does the Trinity work together to bring unity. We believe what the Scripture teaches us about the Trinity, and we allow them to work in our life and in our church and in our families and in our marriages to pull us together, to make us be one. <clears throat> A little later in the service, he's actually going to be here. Uh, we're going to celebrate Seamus our children's minister, being here 10 years. I want to tell you, and I ask his permission to tell you this, I want to tell you the last, uh, I've been here nine plus years, and those years, Seamus and I butted heads a couple times. And we're both strong-willed, so it was button. But because we were committed to the kingdom, because we were committed to Christ, God brought us closer together, and we still work together, and I'm glad to have him here today. Life is not always easy in the church working together. You know, we're engaged in a campaign to, to think about the sacrifices we make to move the church forward. It's not going to be easy, but I believe our mission is worth it, and I believe that we need to pull together as the body not letting it divide us not letting it become an issue between us we need to pull together I truly believe that there should be no black church there should be no white church there should be no yellow church there should be no brown church there is only one color in the church the church is red united by the blood of Jesus. There is one Lord. There is one Spirit. There is one God. There is one faith. There is one baptism. All held together by the God who is over all and through all and in all. Fathers, we think about these things today. I pray perhaps we've thought of areas in our life where we're divided maybe from another believer maybe from somebody in our family I pray this day that we see the importance of unity perhaps how we could be more humble and gentle more patient how we can more be diligent in seeking peace I pray that we would be your people, marked by our commitment to unity. I thank you, Lord, that you are one. I pray that we would be one. In Jesus' name.